Supreme Court Update The Crown Against Bird 2019 SCC 7 B was found to be a long-term offender and received a sentence comprised of a prison term and a period of long-term supervision in the community. Pursuant to section 134.1 sub 2 of the Corrections and Conditional Release Act, the parole board imposed a residency condition as part of B's long-term supervision order. This condition required that he reside at a community correctional center, community residential facility, or other residential facility approved by the Correctional Service of Canada. B was placed at Oscana Centre, a residential correctional centre. Less than a month after his long-term supervision commenced, B left Oscana Centre and did not return. He was eventually apprehended and charged with having breached the residency condition of his long-term supervision order. B defended the charge at trial on the basis that his residency condition of his long-term supervision order was not within the board's statutory authority and violated his right to liberty under Section 7 of the Charter. The trial judge agreed and acquitted B, finding that the residential condition was invalid. The Court of Appeal rejected this finding, set aside B's acquittal, entered a conviction on the charge, and remitted the matter for sentencing. B appeals renewing his Section 7 charter attack on the residency condition and raising for the first time that the condition violates his charter rights under Section 9 and 11H. Held. The appeal should be dismissed. Per Chief Justice Wagner and Justices Abella, Maldaver, Cote, Brown, and Rowe, B was not permitted to collaterally attack the residential condition of his long-term supervisory order. Thus, it was unnecessary to consider whether the residency condition violates his charter rights. In The Crown Against Consolidated Maybrun Mines Limited, a 1998 Supreme Court decision, and in the companion case of The Crown Against Al Clippert Limited, another 1998 Supreme Court case, the court developed a distinct approach for determining whether a person who was charged criminally with breaching an administrative order can collaterally attack that order. This determination is made by focusing on the legislature's intention. The court must inquire into whether the legislature intended to permit collateral attacks on the order, or intended instead that a person should challenge the order by way of other review mechanisms. In focusing on the legislature's intention, the Maybrun framework balances two principles. First, ensuring that the legislature's decision to assign decision-making powers to administrative bodies is not undermined, and second, ensuring that individuals have an effective means available to them to challenge administrative orders, particularly when these orders are challenged on the basis that they are not charter compliant. In the charter context, this means that the person challenging the order must be able to receive an effective remedy that will vindicate his or her charter rights. Where no such remedies are available, it must be inferred that the intention of the legislature is to permit a collateral attack. To determine the legislature's intention as to the appropriate forum for challenging the validity of an administrative order, Maybrun identifies five non-exhaustive factors that may be considered by a court. First, the wording of the statute under the authority of which the order was issued. Second, the purpose of the legislation. Third, the existence of a right of appeal. Fourth, the kind of collateral attack. 
in light of the expertise or raison d'etre of the Administrative Appeal Tribunal, and fifth, the penalty on which the conviction for failing to comply with the order. The factors are not independent and absolute criteria, but important clues, among others, for determining the legislature's intent. On balance, with exception of the final Maybrun factor, the other factors strongly indicate that Parliament did not intend to permit collateral attacks in circumstances like those existing in this case. With respect to the first two factors, it would undermine the purposes of long-term supervision if offenders were allowed to take a breach-first, challenge-later approach to the conditions of their long-term supervision orders. The conditions of a long-term supervision order are imposed to reduce the acceptable level of elevated risk posed by long-term offenders and dangerous offenders in the community. When offenders breach these conditions, they expose the public to this risk. Permitting a breach-first, challenge-later approach in this context undermines not only the community's interests, but also those of the offenders, by compromising the offender's rehabilitative prospects. This outcome is inconsistent with the objectives of the long-term supervision regime. The third factor permits a court to consider not only the existence of a right of appeal to an administrative tribunal, but also the existence of other effective mechanisms or forums for challenging the order at issue. Although there is no right of appeal under the CCRA from a decision of the board concerning the conditions of a long-term supervision order, the record indicates that there were mechanisms available to B that would have provided him with an effective means to challenge the residency condition. He could have written to the board to ask to vary or remove the condition, he could have applied for judicial review in the federal court, and he could have applied to the provincial superior court for habeas corpus, a remedy that offers simplified procedures that promote greater accessibility by self-represented litigants and persons with limited means. Accordingly, B was not denied the ability to fully defend against the charge of breaching the residency condition because he had the opportunity to challenge the board's order through these mechanisms. The fourth factor permits a court to consider the nature of a collateral attack in light of the expertise or raison d'etre of the other mechanisms or forums for challenging the order. Where the nature of the collateral attack involves considerations that fall squarely within the expertise or raison d'etre of an admit particular administrative body or other forum, this may be taken as an indication that Parliament wanted that body to decide the question as opposed to permitting a collateral attack. In the instant case, section 134.1 sub 2 of the CCRA gives the board broad discretionary power to impose whichever conditions on the long-term supervision order it deems, quote, reasonable and necessary to protect society and ensure the successful integration of the offender into society, end quote. This provision demonstrates Parliament's intention to rely on the expertise and experience of the Board in determining which conditions are needed in a long-term supervision order to achieve the balance between public safety and the successful reintegration of the offender. Therefore, if B asked the Board to reconsider its decision to impose the residency condition, the Board would consider matters that fall squarely within its expertise. The fact that B's challenge to the residency condition raises constitutional issues does not mean that it raises considerations foreign to the board's expertise and experience. These issues would also not be unfamiliar to the federal court, 
or to provincial superior courts hearing habeas corpus applications. Consequently, this factor indicates a legislative intention to have B resort to these mechanisms. Lastly, the penalty for breaching a condition of a long-term supervision order is significant. However, this final factor is not determinative. When it is viewed not in isolation, but in conjunction with the other factors, it is clear that it is not decisive of Parliament's intention that B be permitted to collaterally attack the Board's order. Given that permitting a breach-first, challenge-later approach in this context would pose a real risk to public safety and that effective review mechanisms were available to B, Parliament did not intend that B should be able to circumvent these mechanisms and instead challenge the residency condition only after breaching it. Rather, Parliament intended that these offenders would ask the Board to vary or remove the condition and or, if judicial review in the federal court would not provide an effective remedy, apply for habeas corpus. Per Justices Karakatsanis, Gascon, and Martin, B's constitutional challenge to his long-term supervision order residency condition should have been permitted at his trial for breach of that condition. Nevertheless, once permitted, B's claim under Section 7 of the Charter should fail. B's appeal should therefore be dismissed and his conviction upheld. There is agreement with the majority that the factory set out in Maybrun should be applied. However, there is disagreement on their application. Unlike the collateral attacks in Maybrun and Clippert, B's collateral attack put his charter rights in issue in light of the very real possibility of significant imprisonment. When these constitutional and carceral dimensions of B's cases are examined, it is revealed that Parliament did not intend to prohibit B from challenging at trial the constitutional validity of a condition whose breach carries a maximum penalty of 10 years imprisonment. With respect to the first and second Maybrun factors, although the broad authority conferred on the Board by Section 134.1 sub 2 of the CCRA does militate against collateral attacks on the Board's long-term supervision order decisions, Allowing B's collateral attack is not at odds with the purpose of the long-term offender regime. Permitting B to advance his constitutional challenge to his long-term supervision order condition will not inspire or perpetuate a breach-first, challenge-later attitude amongst long-term offenders. Framing B's conduct as breaching-first, challenging-later shifts the focus from whether Parliament intended to allow long-term offenders to challenge long-term supervision orders conditions when charged with their breach, which is the correct question, to whether Parliament intended to permit long-term supervision order breaches committed for the purpose of challenging the conditions breached. Of course Parliament would not intend to make collateral challenges available to those who flout their conditions in order to challenge them. Further and crucially, it is breaches of residency conditions and not collateral attacks on those conditions that pose a risk to society. When examining the third factor, the three options available to B for challenging the residency condition identified by the majority do not, either individually or in concert, provide effective recourse for adjudicating B's charter claim to the point of illustrating a legislative intent to bar B from arguing that the condition for which he faces a criminal charge is unconstitutional. It cannot be said that Parliament prescribed any one of these three options as the particular forum for raising a constitutional challenge to a long-term supervision order condition. Given their shortcomings, 
neither internal review by the parole board nor judicial review can constitute the only prescribed forum for adjudicating constitutional challenges to the long-term supervision order conditions. Assuming its availability and Parliament's awareness of its in this context, habeas corpus cannot serve as evidence that Parliament intended to bar collateral attacks on long-term supervision order conditions. Like a collateral attack, an application for habeas corpus represents an external attack on the long-term supervision order residency condition, which disregards the administrative appeal process contemplated by the CCRA. With respect to the fifth factor, the penalty upon a conviction under section 753 sub 3 of the criminal code is up to 10 years imprisonment. To bar B's attack to the constitutionality of the condition is to deny his defense at trial where he is facing a lengthy period of imprisonment. The general rule against collateral attacks flows from the rule of law and administration of justice considerations, namely that it is improper to bypass adjudicative processes established by the legislature. However, when criminal defenses are barred in the face of severe sanctions, separate aspects of the rule of law and the administration justice are clearly invoked. The trial judge's task in cases such as this is to ask whether full answer and defense considerations and fair trial rights outweigh rigid adherence to administrative structures, particularly where those structures are limited. B's challenge to his residency requirement is the only defense he advanced. He could go to jail for a significant period of time without ever having the basis for that sentence, the residency condition, reviewed by a court for constitutional validity. The prospect of someone in a situation like B's mounting a meritorious charter claim, yet being ineligible for a corresponding remedy because of the forum in which the claim was advanced, is an affront to both the administration of justice and the accused charter protected right to make full answer in defense. Accordingly, this factor weighs heavily in favor of finding that Parliament could not have intended a claim like B's to be barred in these circumstances. B should have been allowed to raise his constitutional defense at this time and in this forum. With respect to B's charter claim, an infringement of liberty will be arbitrary in a manner that infringes Section 7 of the Charter, where it bears no rational connection to the purpose of the governing law. Long-term supervision is a form of exceptional sentence reserved for individuals who pose an ongoing threat to the public and merit enhanced sentences on preventative grounds. The specific objective of long-term supervision is to ensure that the offender does not re-offend and to protect the public during the period of supervised reintegration into society. The Parole Board's broad discretion to set long-term supervision order conditions under Section 134.1 sub 2 of the CCRA is limited only by the requirement that the conditions must aim at protecting society or facilitating the long-term offender's reintegration into society. The text of the provision strongly supports the conclusion that the board is authorized to impose residency requirements and the purposes of the long-term offender regime are best achieved by interpreting section 134.1 sub 2 as authorizing the board to order residency where it deems fit including in a community-based residential facility, such as Oskana Center. Oskana Center's technical status as a penitentiary under the CCRA does not detract from this conclusion, nor do the adjacent CCRA provisions, 
which specifically address residency requirements in other contexts. Accordingly, the text, context, and purpose of section 134.1 sub 2 confirm that the board is empowered to set residency conditions like the one imposed on B, where they are reasonable and necessary to achieve the objectives of the long-term offender regime. The residency condition in this case was informed by B's specific circumstances. Given those circumstances, which include a significant history of failures to comply, substance abuse, and a long criminal record, and the purpose of section 134.1 sub 2 in the context of the long-term offender regime, B's residency condition is not arbitrary under Section 7 of the Charter. B should not be permitted to raise claims under Sections 9 or 11H of the Charter. While the Court has the discretion to hear the new constitutional arguments on appeal, this discretion should only be exercised exceptionally, taking into account all of the circumstances, including the state of the record, fairness to all parties, the importance of having the issues resolved by the Court, its suitability for decision, and the broader interests of the administration of justice. B has not demonstrated that this is one of those rare cases that warrants this court's consideration of his new constitutional arguments on appeal.